How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... Well, we warned you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Gravely Amusing, the only podcast that nailed their Halloween costume this year. I went as a deadbeat dad. I said I would be there for things, and I just never showed up. (laughs) But it wasn't my fault. Uh, Two days before my wife and I were to leave for vacation, uh, we found out that she was sick. And as soon as she got better, I got sick. So we had to cancel our Halloween vacation. Uh, She wasn't able to get back her vacation time. Uh, I was unfortunately able to cancel my vacation and keep that time so I can just roll it over the next year, which I guess is good for me. But when you can't vacation with your spouse, it's not as fun if you really like your spouse, which I really like her. So I don't know. Maybe that kind of makes me more depressed. I don't know. But I just ended up working from home, sick as a dog. Um, if you can tell from my tone and just how I haven't podcasted in a while to finish up the season of Gravely Amusing, uh, I've just been frustrated, depressed, and and I apologize. Um, me and my buddy Tyler did take me on a little on a road trip. And I got out of the house and was able to go to comic stores. So other than that, I haven't got to do much, but I mostly haven't been able to do a whole lot with my wife. Um, which makes me sad. But anyway, this uh, that's not what gravely amusing is about. Well, maybe it is because you know it's gravely amusing, so it's not very amusing. I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> so um, I've kind of been down, and I've lost my spooky spirit, and I've been going crazy, a little mad, you say? And I just might want to lash out. Sorry, I I almost lost control there. Almost lost control. Speaking of losing control. Let's talk about that classic story of losing oneself. A strange story. A strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's one story other than Frankenstein that I personally have always been intrigued by and loved. It's Jekyll and Hyde all the way. Uh, It's why I love the Incredible Hulk so much, because the Incredible Hulk combination of Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde it's a perfect combo of those two stories I love so much. So the Hulk is definitely um, definitely what I love so much. Heck, I mean, you could actually probably even be able to say that Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde 
like really influence superheroes in general or, or villains at least with dull identities because with villains you know if they have a secret identity no they like lex luther lex luther is perfect perfect example because every and kingpin because everybody like the general public thinks they're a good person thinks they're a good a good guy but what they, they really are like one one evil sob so you know dr jekyll and mr hyde kind of originated that also in the good side with superheroes because um you know superman having a secret identity of clark kent and superman i mean they're both good but you know one can do certain things that the other one can't in public and and stuff like that so um me personally i'm actually uh been studying more uh sigmund freud and i studied him in high school a lot because i was intrigued by his research with dreams and I actually had no idea that he researched, um, or maybe I forgot about it, um, but I had no idea that he researched personalities. And because me personally, I'm intrigued by the concept that there are two sides of man, one that is completely good and one that's completely evil. Because before I even looked this up, before I even researched uh, Sigmund Freud more like before I even knew this theory existed I would go to my friends that I could have deep ass talks with and I would discuss mostly Tyler and I would discuss the duality and the struggles of man and because I am such such a deep thinker you know I threw at them that there's really three sides to man or or humankind and and this is who they are like the three the three sides of man or basically, in my opinion, and it turns out actually Sigmund Freud's opinion kind of is there are who you are, who you want to be. And that side might be the, the good or, you know, the absolute good you want to be. But then there's the side you don't want to be. That's the most evil. And that actually might be the side that people want to do because they could do what they want. But regardless, um, I think it's cool that I have these thoughts even before we do this research. So, you know, pat on my back there. Uh, I don't get a lot of encouragement in my life, so you know, pat me on the back. <laughs> I like words of affirmation; it's my love language. So you know, good job, Brian. <laughs> but anywho, uh, Sigmund Freud's theory, uh, one of the last he worked on, was basically that we have three voices in our head: we have the ID or the id, the ego, and the super ego. Each of these voices has a different goal the id or the id i'll say the id i like the id better the id seeks pleasure is what you really want it's your deepest desires your deepest impulses the mr hyde to you if you will the superego or maybe the superhero or whatever the superego tries to uphold your highest values is the dr jekyll in you the superhero in you, the best you can be, the 100% good version of who you are. And then there's this third side that I that I really, that I feel is very important. There's the ego, and the ego has to deal with both of these sides of you um, in constant conflict. It has to find a way to operate in this reality. The ego is what you really are. You know, the ego is the balance of how you how you handle society and your impulses. Maybe, maybe you do act on impulses a little bit, but you have to, you know, you keep yourself in check 
so the ID and the superego is constantly in this battle of who you are, which just, you know, which is, it has your ego. Um, Freud would work on these theories and, uh, until, uh, in 1938, which was just before his death. So, um, Freud, or as he likes to be called, uh, Ziggy, <laughs> uh, would work on those a little bit before he, he, he died. And I'm so intrigued by these theories of thoughts that, and, and stay tuned with me, everybody, because, um, <laughs> for, because I'm working on a comic book, I'm working on one, and it's something very special to me. And hopefully, hopefully, I'll publish it one day if I can find an artist that. Actually, who actually wants to work with me, um, but my comic and I and, and I have this kind of whole comic universe and epic. But the one in particular here, it's called Alter, uh, spelled A L T E R. Uh, copyright Manchild Productions, Manchild Comics. That's you know, this is my idea. So if anybody else takes it, I'll know. Um, but Alter A L T E R um, means change. You know, to alter something. But also, alter can be spelled A-L-T-A-R. Um, and sometimes as I write, I will switch those words up. So if you kind of can see where I'm going. I've been working on this for 20-something years. Uh, I actually worked on it originally, uh, sharing my ideas with Finch. Uh, uh, and you know, don't forget to listen to the BP and the Finch podcast that what I've been working on with uh, Dre Finch, my good friend. And... This altar um, is part of, will be part of a whole big comic universe I've been working on. But I have an imposter syndrome, and it, it's it's one of my greatest desires to publish it one day. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully one day. So who wrote this book? Who, who wrote The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Well, it was actually a guy named Robert Louis Stevenson, and he was Scottish. He is from Edinburgh, Scotland. <laughs> I can't do voices as good as my buddy Trey, but I try. Um, but he wrote uh, he wrote many awesome stories, uh, Kidnapped and a bunch of other stuff. But he also wrote uh, that I know people have heard of is Treasure Island. So he wrote Treasure Island and he wrote this. So what, what's the deal with Stevenson? So Stevenson was born at Gate Howard Place in Edinburgh, Scotland. Where I hope one day, one day, I can visit with my wife. I pray to pray to the Lord. Uh, he was born on November thirteenth, which is when I should have actually published this podcast. Uh, I meant to publish it last week, but <laughs> I was uh, darn you, Brian. <laughs> but uh, he was born uh, November thirteenth, eighteen fifty, to Thomas Stevenson, who was a lighthouse designer. And his wife, Margaret Isabella Balfour. Uh, he was Christian, Robert Louis Balfour Stevenson. And at 18, he changed the spelling of Louis, uh, L-E-W-I-S, to L-O-U-I-S. And he dropped Balfour in 1873. So Robert's father and his father and his father and his father and his father they were all lighthouse dudes. They were all lighthouse engineers and designers. So Robert's uh, grandfather, Louis Balfour, and his daughter, uh, which is uh, Robert's mom, they both had weak, weak lungs. So they often needed to stay in warmer climates for their health. 
uh, Stevenson inherited a tendency to these coughs and fevers. And whenever the family moved to a damp, chilly house, uh, these, these would act up. But when the family moved to, you know, sunnier places, um, he, he would be, he would be much better. The tendency to stream sickness in winter would remain with him until he was 11. Uh, illness was a recurring feature of his adult life and it left him extraordinarily thin. Um, some people thought that he had tuberculosis, but more recent views uh, that it was just, it was like a constant bronchitis or an other infection in the lungs that somehow got passed down by the family. Very weird. But uh, Stevenson's parents were both uh, serious Presbyterians. And Stevenson actually had a nurse named Allison Cunningham, who they called Cummy. Um, I don't know why any woman would want that nickname, but uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, the nurse gave him a mix of Calvinism and, uh, and also folklore beliefs. And these were early source of nightmares for young Robert. And at this time, it showed he showed a serious concern for religion and religion's ways as he was brought up in this house. Um, but she cared for him so tenderly in all his sickness, often reading him stories and uh, you know other stories from the Bible and folklore and stuff, that uh, Robert became very interested in stories. And being a sick kid and having to get tutors and being in and out of school, uh, this made life really rough for him. So he actually didn't learn to read, even though he loved stories so much. He didn't learn to read until he was actually eight years old. So that, um, that was pretty crazy. Uh, when he was older, though, he told his dad he didn't want to work in, on lighthouses. So he didn't want to be he didn't want to be Aquaman and live in a lighthouse. Uh, his dad was very supportive of that. And actually helped him publish his first book. Uh, uh, Robert's father actually wanted to be a writer as well. And his father didn't support him. So he didn't want to do that to his son. He wanted to have the cycle be broken and help his son out. So um, in other respects, besides going writing, Stevenson was moving away from his upbringing. His dress uh, started becoming more liberal. He wore his hair long. Uh, he wore long coats, long jackets. He didn't intend parties and fancy dress. Um, within the limits of a strict allowance, which I guess came from his from his family, uh, he visited cheap pubs and brothels. Um, so you can see here how this might have influenced Jekyll and Hyde, where you know Jekyll would have been that devout Christian, that that man that you know, was above reproach. And then Hyde is where, you know, who he really was. Like, he wanted to be more liberal. Like, he wanted to hang in brothels. Um, you know, he wanted to be in bars. So I could see that conflict, of, you know, on how he wrote. And more, more uh, significantly, Robert started rejecting Christianity, and he declares himself an, an atheist. And in January 1873, when he was 22, his father came across the uh, Liberty, Justice, and Reverence Club, or the LJR, 
uh, of which Stevenson and his cousin Bob were both members. And <laughs> their slogan of this club was basically, uh, let's just forget everything our parents have taught us. Let's disregard it. And questioning his son about his beliefs, Robert's dad, uh, I think uh, he discovered the truth about Robert that he no longer believed in God and grown tired of pretending to be something that he wasn't. And Robert said to him, like, am I supposed to live my whole life in falsehood? And his father was basically no longer proud of him. So his father actually was so devastated. He said to his son, you've rendered my whole life a failure. And his mother um, said that this was the heaviest affliction to befall her. So uh, if if uh, some of your parents are over overly religious and uh, and you have started to question religion or um, faith in general, or you just have questions about it, um, I can understand where your parents are very upset with you to ask questions. Uh, religion is not necessarily always made to for you to ask questions. Um, it's part of why I got in trouble in Bible college. <laughs> I, I asked a lot of questions of why things were a certain way. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they didn't like me there. <laughs> but um, when I was in ministry, you know, that was a big part of my ministry is, you know, I, I wanted people to ask questions. I wanted us to have a discussion about God and about Jesus and, and about beliefs because I believe that that's how people grow. Um, you know, I have believed that that's how the relationship kind of really begins. Um, you know, if you ask questions and you have doubts with things, but yet you still believe, um, and you, know, you still believe, uh, in, in, in God, um, you know, I guess that's kind of where real faith begins, you know, and I, I would never want to judge somebody for asking questions. Um, you know, I, I want them, I want them to do, I want them to become their best self. You know, that's, that's all what I was about. Um, so, you know, that's, that's me. Um, so, you know, uh, Stephen's rejection of President Church and Christian dogma uh, didn't turn into lifelong uh, atheism or agnosticism because um, he eventually wrote to his father about five years after this and, and said to him, you know, Christianity is among, um, Christianity is among other things, a very wise, noble, and strange doctrine of life. You see, I speak of it as a doctrine of life and as a wisdom for this world. Father, I have a good heart and believe in myself and my fellow men and the God who made us all. There is a fine text in the Bible, I don't know where, to the fact that all things work together for those who love the Lord. Uh, strange as it may seem to you, everything has been in one way or the other bringing me nearer to what I think you like me to be. It is a strange world indeed, but there is a manifest God for those who care to look for him. So I think that he believed that there was a God within five years, um, but he probably didn't like all the rules that religion gave him or how religion 
uh, told him kind of how he had to live. Um, but he still believed that he was a god. So I guess that would kind of make him like an agnostic, if you will. So you know, whatever. Um, his life, uh, his life isn't too exciting. Robert's life isn't that exciting. Um, he married a writer like himself, but most of his life was basically traveling, looking for warmer climates, and just trying to breathe. Uh, a good bit of his ideas for his works uh, were from traveling around the world, the world searching for good climates, uh, writing with his wife. Some ideas he got from just dreams and nightmares he had. Uh, but he eventually died in the Isle of Samoa uh, of a stroke on December 3rd, 1884. So let's uh, let's discuss this book, shall we? Let's discuss the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, what you're here for. Um, so I'd say some of this inspirations for his novel definitely came from his struggling with what his parents wanted to be and what was expected to him. You know, living his life, trying to make everybody else happy instead of himself happy. So I think, you know, because the character Dr. Jekyll wants to keep his image that he's a good person, but still do what the heck he wants to do. So I think this was a huge inspiration for for the Dr. Jekyll character. So, yeah. So, Robert, you know, wanted to be a writer. He was a man of ideas. And I personally can't help but be inspired by that. You know, you have to live your life. You, you can't have others tell you how your life should be. You got to live it the way you want to. I mean, you shouldn't go out and just start killing people and doing drugs or whatever, <laughs> but, but, uh, but you should, you know, if you have dreams to be a writer, go be a writer. If you have dreams to be an artist, go be an artist. You know, if you want to own your own company, go own your own company. You know, this is your life. You only got one life. Go do it. Um, but, but, uh, Robert, Robert here was like me, was always intrigued by the nature of good and evil in man. And some inspirations for this book uh, could have came from from when he was a teenager. He wanted to write a play based on a man from the 1700s named William Brody. So if you don't know who William Brody was, because I sure as heck didn't, <laughs> um, William Brody, uh, this was a big case in the 1700s. This was a big deal. Well, William Brody was a respectable tradesman and like deacon of the incorporation of rights, uh, which kind of controlled the craft of cabinet making in Edinburgh, Scotland. And this made him like a man about town, a very important person in town, uh, not unlike Dr. Jekyll. And part of his work as a cabinet maker was to install and repair locks and other security mechanisms for his customers and people in town. So he would socialize with you know, people in town and, and, and build cabinets. And he was, he was like a locksmith, you know, he's a locksmith at town, but at night Brody would, would be, would, would break into houses and he was a thief. So he used his daytime work 
uh, basically gain knowledge about all the security mechanisms of his customers, and he would copy keys to their houses using wax and impressions. So if they needed a new key, he would make them a key, and then he would take a key for himself. And that's something I always wondered about locksmiths today. And that's something I, I need to put my, I need to put my best people on it. Because like what contracts or things with the law do locksmiths have to do to be able to keep their profession and also like not be accused of any crimes or anything? Um, it's interesting. But Brody was asked to work in the houses of like big like the richest people in Edinburgh. So he gained their trust and he was their he was their locksmith. But he the money he you he stole from them, he used to basically maintain his second life, which was gambling and secretly five children by two different women. <laughs> And the women didn't know of each other, uh, and the women were unknown in the city. Uh, but he had three with one, and you know, two with the other, or maybe he had four with one and one with the other. Who knows? You know, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> so the guy had a double life, and you know, one side he showed in the world, and the other one he kept hidden. Uh, inspiration for this book is also widely de- believed to be from a personal relationship that Robert had with a French teacher named Eugene Cantrell. Now, Cantrell, this is this is uh, this is a, a weird one. Well, it's not weird. It's just uh, sad. <laughs> I guess is the word for it. So, Eugene Cantrell was convicted and executed for the murder of his wife in 1878. Cantrell, who appeared to have a normal life in the city, poisoned his young wife with opium. Uh, According to an author, uh, Jeremy Hodges, uh, Stevenson was president throughout the trial of his friend. And as evidence unfolded, he found himself, like Dr. Jekyll, disgusted before the acts of his uh, uh, you know his friend or like dr jekyll was disgusted with hyde um or more so in the book mr Edison disgusted with the acts of mr hyde and what's going on with dr jekyll so definitely an interpretation yes this is definitely an interpretation uh more of it was believed that the teacher actually committed more murders and france and britain by poisoning his victims at dinner parties with a favorite dish of toasted cheese and opium. See, I like my toasted cheese or grilled cheese with tomato soup. I don't like it with a bunch of opium. But, you know, to each his own. To each his own. (laughs) Um, Eugene was about 44 years old, and his wife was actually a student of his, and she was 15 when they met. Um, she was 16 when they got married and she had, she gave birth two months after they were married. She was 16 years old. He was 44. Um, in my opinion, that's disgusting. Um, but this, I mean, this was different times back then, but to, for a man to be 28 years older than his wife, 
Um, personally, I, 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 I don't like it. You know, the, the, the unwritten rule among men is half your age plus seven. So he should be dating someone that's up 29, like maximum or sorry, minimum, <laughs> minimum 29. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, that's, it's disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but you know, whatever. So there, uh, the reports that basically, you know, that, that he beat his wife and now he just wanted to kill her, uh, maybe cause she got pregnant. I don't know. Uh, this dude was evil. There's no, there's no other way to put it. Uh, but yeah, so some say Robert was high on cocaine when he wrote uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Uh, there are also reports that basically he was sick while he wrote it. And uh, he would be sick in bed and he would come down and after he wrote, and he would show his wife and say, like, you know, what do you think of this? And she would say, well, you should probably write it like this. And he would get pissed off, as I would probably. And crumble the paper into a ball and throw it in the fire. Then he would go and rewrite, come back down, and basically say that she was right. So, uh, my wife is a very good writer, very good writer, and I really hope that she publishes something one day. Uh, I, I know she has imposter syndrome, just like I do. Um, but my wife is she's an amazing writer, so. If, you know, if I'm writing something and my wife gives her two cents and basically says, you know, I can do it better. Yeah, I'd probably be mad to you because I know she's better than me. And that's probably what he was feeling, <laughs> you know. So, you know, marriage, you know, what are you going to do? But um, so the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's actually it's written from like a third perspective. So this is where I really believe that the story of uh, Robert you know, and his friend, Eugene, you know, the dude that killed his wife. That's why I believe that's, that's definitely inspiration and a mixture of Robert's own life and the own things he wanted to do. So characters in this book, there is Gabriel John Utterson. And mostly in the book, he's just called Utterson. So Utterson is a lawyer and he's close, basically kind of like the best friend of Dr. Jekyll and their other friend, uh, so it's Utterson, Jekyll, and another friend named Lanyon. And Utterson is basically, uh, he's measured, he's, he's, he's reserved at all times. He's an emotionless, bas bas not emotionless bastard, emotionless bachelor who uh, nonetheless is believable, trustworthy, and basically he's tolerant of other people and, and how they are. And he's very, he's very reserved. He's very logical. He's a very logical man. He's like, he's like the Spock of the story, if you will. Um, but he's very likable. But Utterson is not immune to guilt, though. As while he's quick to investigate and judge the faults of others. Um, well, I guess he's not really tolerant. I'm so sorry. My notes suck. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's a. Well, he's quick to investigate things that are suspicious, 
and uh, judge the faults of others, even for the benefit of his friends. Um, uh, he doesn't, yeah. So Anderson doesn't partake in like gossip or other views of upper class out of respect for other people. So Anderson basically is a type of guy that he lets people be people, but when something is out of the ordinary and people aren't doing what they normally do, Utterson jumps to many conclusions before finding out all the facts. He just, he's a very curious guy. Um, he wants to find out all the facts, but you know, he, you know, it's, it's serious. He's, he's a curious guy. So then of course there is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and, um, Based in you know Soho, London's West End, so the story does you know it takes place in London. Uh, Doctor Jekyll is described as a large, well-made, smooth-faced man of about fifty, with uh, he's, you know, he's a handsome guy, but he's like fifty. He's old. He's older. Uh, who sometimes feels he's battling between the good and evil within himself, and he's struggling with who he is and who he wants to be. He has desires that. He's not able to, to, to do. Uh, he spent his, a great deal of his life trying to repress these evil urges. They're not fitting of a man of, of his, you know, of, of his position. So he creates a serum or potion uh, in an attempt to separate this evil hidden from his personality. And doing so, Jekyll is transformed into a smaller, younger, cruel, remorseless, and evil Dr. H or Mr. Hyde. Uh, Jekyll has many friends, and he's very likable, but as Hyde, he becomes mysterious and violent. As time goes by, Hyde grows in power after taking the potion repeatedly, and uh, eventually, well, I'll get to it when we get into the book. Um, there's also a character named uh, Richard Enfield, and he's he's really just in kind of like the beginning of the book. He's not in there a whole much, but uh, Enfield is basically Utterson's cousin, and he's a well-known man about town. And, um, we, you know, I'll get to it. Uh, then there's Dr. Lanson, who is kind of the third friend. He's also, uh, you know, a scientist. And uh, and he's a friend with Utterson and, uh, and Dr. Jekyll. Then there's also Mr. Poole. Poole is Jekyll's butler, who's worked for him for many, many years. And he... Uh, is very loyal to Dr. Jekyll, but he he worries about what's going on. And then there's an inspector, and then um, there is a character named Sir Danvers Crew Karu, who's a 70-year-old dude, uh, works for Parliament, and um, we'll see who he is. And then there is a maid that, um, that works for Jekyll. So, so this is how the story goes. Okay. So Utterson and his cousin Richard Enfield are on their weekly walk when they reach the door of a large house located uh, by a street in a busy corner of London. And they're kind of stopping their tracks looking at this door. And Enfield tells Utterson that months ago, at about three o'clock in the morning, he saw an evil looking man named Edward Hyde, trample a young girl after accidentally bumping into her. 
Now, what this little girl is doing out at 3 a.m., I have no freaking clue, but it's so the story can happen. And 3 a.m. is the witching hour. It's evil hour. So um, there are going to be a lot of questions you may have about this book. Um, if you choose to read it yourself, which I recommend, even though I tell you everything that happens. Um, <laughs> but there's there's just a lot of questions. And feel free to uh, message me on Facebook on, at Gravely Amusing, Instagram at Gravely Amusing, and even X at Gravely Amusing. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about this book because there's so many questions. So, you know, we'll see. So this kid gets trampled and Enfield forces Hyde to pay the family. So the family, the ladies, the girl's family shows up. Uh, Enfield kind of stops Hyde from running away and makes him pay the family a hundred bucks to avoid the scandal. So Hyde brings Enfield to this very door that they're looking at. And Hyde goes in and comes out and writes a check signed by Dr. Henry Jekyll and gives the 100 bucks to the family. Well, Dr. Jekyll is a very respected member of the community and is doctor and, uh, you know, he's, he's Utterson's best friend and, 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 and client. So... You know, it's Enfield knows Utterson knows this dude. So Utterson fears this high dude is blackmailing his best friend. And it turns out that Jekyll recently changed his will uh, with Utterson to make Hyde the sole beneficiary of the event and the event of Jekyll's death or disappearance. Notice how it says disappearance. So if he were to become Hyde completely, um, Hyde gets the money. Oh, excuse me. Utterson then tries to discuss Hyde with Jekyll, but Jekyll gets very defensive. Utterson then tries to discuss Hyde with Jekyll, but Jekyll gets very defensive and says he can't get rid of Hyde when, or he can get rid of Hyde when he wants and asked him to drop the subject. So a year passes, and in October, a servant sees Mr. Hyde beat Sir Danvers uh, with a cane to death, and the cane breaks in half. Uh, it's never explained why Hyde kills this dude, but the dude had a letter to Utterson with him. So something was supposed to be told to Utterson, something. Um, we never find out what it said or why he killed this dude, which bothers the crap out of me. But, you know, anywho, uh, the police contact Utterson, who then leads officers to Hyde's apartment, and but Hyde's not there. Hyde's vanished. But they do find the other half of a broken cane, which Utterson recognizes as the one he gave to Jekyll as a gift. So why would Hyde have Jekyll's cane? Well, Utterson visits Jekyll, who has a note supposedly written to Jekyll, uh, who has a note supposedly written uh, to Jekyll by Mr. Hyde, apologizing for the trouble he's caused. However, Hyde's handwriting is similar to Jekyll's own handwriting. It's just a little bit more aggressive. So this leads Utterson to conclude 
that Jekyll forged the note to protect Hyde for whatever reason. And then for the next two months, Jekyll reverts to his former sociable manner. Uh, but in January, he starts refusing visitors and he locks himself away in his laboratory. So Dr. Lanyon, the, you know, the third friend, um, uh, he out of nowhere dies of shock after receiving some information about Dr. Jekyll. But before his death, Lanyon gives Utterson a letter to be opened after Jekyll disappears or Jekyll dies. So in late February, during another walk with Enfield, uh, our boy Utterson starts a conversation with Jekyll. They decide to go and walk like by the courtyard of the house to see if they can see Jekyll in the window. And they do. And they start this conversation with Jekyll at his window. And Jekyll speaks with them for a bit. But then suddenly he slams the window shut and he disappears, which shocks and concerns Utterson. Like, what's my best pal doing? Like, what, what, what the hell? Then in early March, Jekyll's butler, Mr. Poole, uh, visits Utterson and says Jekyll has secluded himself in the laboratory for weeks. Utterson and Poole break into this laboratory, and they find Hyde's body wearing Jekyll's clothes, apparently having killed himself. They find a letter from Jekyll to Utterson, and uh, Utterson reads Lanyon's letter that he had before, because Jekyll's dead, remember? Jekyll's dead. So he reads Lanyon's letter before, before he reads Jekyll's. So in Lanyon's letter... It reveals that his his deterioration in health resulted from the shock of seeing Hyde drink a serum that turned him into Jekyll. So, um, in the book, basically, um, Mister Hyde or uh, do, yeah, Doctor Jekyll has a letter uh, to, to gives a letter to to Lanyon and. The letter says that a man's. I need you to go in my house. I need you to get these vials and the serums from a drawer, and a man's going to come pick them up at midnight, and you're going to give it to him. Well, that man's Mister Hyde. So Mister Hyde uh, comes in, um, and um, and sees he sees Jekyll turn or Hyde turn into Jekyll. So, um, yeah, so he dies from the, uh, the shock of seeing Hyde drink the serum, and that turns Jekyll, turns into Jekyll. Jekyll's letter explains the whole story. He says that he held himself to strict moral standards publicly, but he indulged in unstated vices and struggled with shame. He found a way to transform himself and thereby indulges vices without fear of detection. Jekyll's transformed body, Hyde, was evil, self-indulgent, and uncaring to anyone but himself. Initially, Jekyll controlled the transformations with that serum, but one night in August, he became Hyde involuntarily in his sleep. Jekyll resolved to cease becoming Hyde forever. Despite this, 
One night he had a mocha of weakness and he drank the sermon. The sermon. He drank the serum. Ugh. Hyde, uh, with his desires, been caged for many, many months. Kills his career guy, uh, you know, to be cool. Horrified at this, Jekyll tried more animately to stop the transformations. And in January, he transformed involuntary while he was awake. And he was far from his laboratory, and he was hunted by the police as a murderer. Uh, Hyde decided I uh, needed help to avoid capture. So he wrote to Lanny in Jekyll's hand, asked his friend to bring chemicals from his lab. In Lanny's presence, Hyde mixed the chemicals, drank the serum, and transformed into Jekyll. The shock of that sight killed Lanyon and, uh, well, led to his deterioration and, and death. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Jekyll's involuntary transformations increased in frequency. So he kept turning to Hyde just without any any potion, any serum. He just kept doing it. Uh, they increased in frequency, and they required every, uh, larger doses every time to turn him back. And it was one of these transformations that caused Jekyll to slam his window shut on Anderson uh, when they were trying to talk him, him through the window. Eventually, the supply of salt used in the serum uh, ran low, and these batches prepared from new stocks failed to work. So Jekyll speculated that the original ingredients that was used, our original salts in it, had impurities, which made it work. Uh, realizing that he would stay transformed as Hyde forever, Jekyll wrote out a full account of the events, and Jekyll ends by saying, he doesn't know if Hyde will be executed or if he'll find the balls to commit suicide. But he doesn't care, because Jekyll's dying, and whatever happens next happens to someone other than him. And that's how the story ends. So, we never learn what these urges are. Uh, we never learn them. So, does did he did he want to bang chicks? Did he want to bang dudes? Did he want to do drugs? Did he want to kill people? Like, what did he want to do so bad that he had to go into such great lengths to to do this? And that's 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 what this real question about the story is. You know, um, what evil things do people think about? What desires do they have? You know, the age-old battle of sin, of evil. You know, um, that's what this, that's that's the real question. And there's many film and TV adaptations that try to dwell into this, like what, what, what Jekyll really wants. And, and, you know, we're going to talk about them. There are many, 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 many adaptations of Jekyll and Hyde in film, TV, comics, just so many different versions. So I had to phone a friend and tell me talk about this. So it's one of my good friends. You probably have heard his voice before or heard of him before. I called up my boy Tyler. So give it up for Jonathan Tyler Patrick. Hey, ATP. hey thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. And it's fun to talk about this. Yes. Like I was, I was just recording this and I was just like, you know what? 
I need to call up Tyler on this, see if he can be a part of it. So like, so Jekyll and Hyde. So what, what I've talked about so far, Tyler, is is basically, you know, I talked I talked about the novel. Like, have you ever have you ever read the whole novel? I have. Um, okay. Long story short, um, when I the first it was one of the first books I read when um, my mom bought these like abridged illustrated classics, mm-hmm. and it um, it was like Tom Sawyer, Oliver Twist, Jekyll and Hyde. Um, Treasure Island, like, and Jekyll and Hyde. I read that, and I had to be like hmm, third, fourth grade, and then closer to high school, I read the full book. And then, like, a walk to remember, and you know, notebooks. Yeah, like that. of course. Yeah, absolutely. You read one Nicholas Sparks book; they're all the same. You just change a couple of details. They're not the same, dude. It's Are you always kidding me. Someone falls in love, someone dies. I predicted one. We watched a trailer for a movie one day at work, and I predicted the whole book just from the trailer. And the girl went and saw it and came back like, "How did you know?" I'm like, "Because I know." Was it Was it Dear John? No, it was the one that had <laughs> James Marsden in it. I don't even remember which one that is, but I don't know. a walk to Marsden. <laughs> a walk to Dear John's Rodanthia. <clears throat> the The Notebook of Marsden. <clears throat> I wish they would have let me play Cyclops longer. I wish it wasn't in Superman Returns. No. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. But that's a whole other podcast. That's that's the Krypton Report. So, so dude. So, ha, so have you seen? So the first film adaptation, like major adaptation of Jekyll and Hyde, was John Barrymore, uh, ancestor of Drew Barrymore, and the 1920 silent film uh, Jekyll and Hyde. I've seen parts of it. I've seen clips because, like, just the transformation scenes and stuff were okay. done so well. So, like, I haven't seen the whole film, but I have seen like the transformation. Okay, see, that's important. That's good. So, like, as I was going through this list of, because I wanted to watch as many Jack One Hyde versions as I could to kind of talk about in this podcast with you. Like, so many things I couldn't find streaming. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't even find from the library. I couldn't. Like I tried to YouTube stuff. I tried to find anything I could, and the list was very limited. So I didn't get to see the Michael Caine version. I couldn't find the John Malkovich uh, version with Julia Roberts. Ooh, that's which I think was like Mary Riley. Yeah, it was all about her perspective. Like that would have been very interesting. I really like wanted a part of that. That's um, but I couldn't find it. Um, and, and I couldn't order anything from the library because because I took out a like a giant like horror literature uh, mm-hmm. uh, encyclopedia and Jen moved it and I forgot where it was. So the library is like, you got to return this freaking book because you owe us money. And I'm like, my Gosh. wife works at the library. I owe you nothing. <laughs> but, but I had to return that. So I couldn't order anything, but what are you going to do? So in this 1920s version, um, I'll go through, go through with it here. Um, I think, I think Hyde looks the best. Like, have you, you have you seen pictures of this? How do you prefer your Hyde? I think that's the first thing I want to see. Ask. Okay, because that's something I definitely wanted to get in with you. So, I think. So, just we'll 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 sidebar that question in a second, because, like, because, in the book, mm-hmm. okay. So in the book, Hyde is so Jekyll is. 
handsome. He's James Cole, basically. Yeah. He's you know he's he's well he's in his fifties, but he's a handsome dude. He's well built, well put together, and when he turns into Hyde, he becomes smaller and weaker, and not necessarily a hunchback, but like, and and the more he takes the potion, the more he gets disfigured, the more Jekyll is taken away from him, and his hair is very his hair is very thin. His fingernails are longer. He has hairier arms, and his and as Utterson looks at him and people look at him in the book, they describe him as like he has a deformity, but they can't describe what that deformity is. And they look at him, but like nobody can describe what Hyde looks like, like almost like the potion gives off this, this aura or this like deception or mm-hmm. this uh, filter, if you will, um, perception filter. It's uh, which is kind of a Doctor Who thing, but but anywho, um, <laughs> pun intended. Um, but like, I like my hide personally. I like my hide to be more like this. I like my hide to have the longer fingernails. Like, like it doesn't make sense for me for hide to look so incredibly ridiculous and over the top. Like I think he'd be uh-huh. like a man that wouldn't necessarily be able to get a woman normally. Um, but I, I I think he needs to be just like when you look at this dude, you don't want to mess with this dude. You don't want to mess with him. He creeps you out and he scares you. Mm. But because he's so because he's so like demanding and scary and forceful with this evil and his presence, you're going to do what he tells you to do because you're so scared of what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that a bit in these movies of just how he speaks and how he treats people. Like I kind of like my hide like that. And, and I'll, I'll, you know, we'll definitely talk more about that. Um, but in this movie, Hyde has long hair like really greasy type long hair. Uh, his face is longer. He's, he's skinnier. And I know, I think he's played by a different actor in this one. Would, would you do it that way or would you have the same actor? Um, me personally, I like the same actor because, because not only am I giving that actor a chance to really show what he can do mm-hmm. and have that range. Like I really liked, um, uh, what the heck's his name? Frederick, um, what the hell his name? Uh, not necessarily Spencer Tracy, but uh, Frederick. Uh, my things are out of order. Gosh. Which year? Uh, uh, Frederick March. Frederick March won uh Academy Award for best a- best actor in this when he on his 1931 version. Mm, I'm looking at the pictures now. Yeah, check it out. So, yeah, 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 yeah. The 1920s one, 1920s see, I, one. I remember, I remember that one. Like the, I'm looking. At, I like, see, I like the John Barrymore look. Yeah, because I really feel like the actor stretching, but it's, it's not that he's Hyde is an interesting person, but he's still a person compared yeah. to some of them where it's like he looks like an animal. Well, yeah, yeah. We're well, we'll be getting to that in a second. <laughs> but so, in the book, like. 
what really bothered me in the book, and I said this earlier, um, is that you don't really know what Jekyll wanted to do. Mm. Like you don't know his impulses. They never get into it in the book. Like, I mean, all we know in the book is that Jekyll was a man about town. He was, he was very respected. Um, he was 50. He wasn't married. He had no children, but we don't really know what he wanted to do. Like why he needed to create this hide persona. Um, you know, what, what did he want to pursue? So in the 1920s, uh, movie, we get this, like how the story goes here is basically Jekyll runs a free clinic and he works long hours and he has little time for his, for his girlfriend, Millicent and Millicent's father is named Sir George and he's irritated by Jekyll's like high mindness. He thinks that Jekyll puts on this persona that he's too good. Like, like there's no way a man can be this good. So he says to Jekyll that you can't be as good as you look. So he takes him one night to basically like a bar. Um, you know, it takes him to the nightclub and he says that every man is basically two parts and they're in constant conflict. And he says that man can't destroy the savage in him by denying his impulses. And the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. So I found this really freaking weird. Like this dude's going to marry your daughter. Why are you taking him to nightclub and basically saying like, Hey, if you see a chick and you want to bang her, like do it, you know, just so you can like deal with your impulses. (laughs) But he meets this woman named Gina and this is where things kind of get different for Jekyll. Um, so he starts way he's based on what his future father-in-law says, he starts researching a way that he could separate good and evil. And he creates a potion and it transfers him into Hyde. And then he creates a counter potion to turn back into Jekyll. I always found that fascinating. What which part? The he had to create a second potion to turn back. I see, I like that. I do too. Like like I don't I see I think it's interesting to have it deliberately that like Hyde has to choose to go back to Jekyll as much as Jekyll has to choose to turn into Hyde. Mm-hmm. Like I find that fascinating and I'm glad you I'm glad you put that up. Because in most interpretations, it's basically Jekyll chooses to turn to Hyde, and then Hyde just turns into Jekyll by circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's like it wears off. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I kind of would like, I like the idea they need each other. Yeah. Yes. My man, my man. Um, so basically they do that story of like this girl and like nightclub stuff. Um, and then they do a story where basically Hyde takes this Gina and moves her into an apartment and kind of like basically takes care of her. And in the silent film, like this is, it's not as toned up and scary, scariness. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how that story goes. But in the 1931 film, this is where I feel Hyde is absolutely freaking terrifying. And it's not, he's not terrifying because he looks like a monkey. Um, 
he's 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 terrifying by how he acts. So this is where this is where I feel that the the look of Hyde takes a dramatic step backwards. Mm. Um because now have you seen this the 30 yeah. the 1931 one? I have seen this one. Okay. So I think this is the most famous version. Like in yeah, a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, you're totally right. It's it's definitely the most famous version. Um I don't like Hyde looking like a simian nope. or Mr. Peepers, like Chris Catan's character in SNL. Like <laughs> I knew he reminded me of somebody and I just like, it wasn't coming. Like that's me. what I was getting, man. And he like he jumps around like a monkey. It's so weird. Um they they basically take the story from the 1921, the 1920 version, um, but they kind of up it. So it's kind of a uh, cut and paste. But uh, Henry Jekyll is extremely horny, like we can tell. Like mm-hmm. he wants to get some. And in this case, his future father-in-law wants to delay the wedding to his girlfriend longer. And Jekyll and her really want to get married. Um, probably because Jekyll's horny. <laughs> so so um, they go, he's walking about town one night and he runs into this nightclub chick named Ivy. And basically Ivy is being like, be, like attacked by some dudes. Jekyll saves her. Ivy seduces him and, um, you know, kind of flirts with him a little bit. Jekyll refuses. But when he takes this hide, this hide serum, he goes after Ivy and and basically like meets her at the nightclub and says, You will I will financially support you in return for your company. And this moves where the movie gets so freaking uncomfortable because he basically I mean they don't show it, thank God, but he basically rapes this woman like repeatedly mm-hmm. and psychologically manipulates her that you're nothing without me. Like I have to financially support you. He abuses her. He shakes her. Um, the way he talks to her, like as you're watching this movie, you think he's just gonna kill her, like at any moment. Like it, 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 it's quite uncomfortable. But it made Hyde be this like really evil dude, um, and eventually in the movie he does kill Ivy. And, um, and he, you know, he does, he, he does, and then he, he does kill Ivy eventually. Um, and he breaks off the engagement with, uh, his fiance and he just, cause he, cause he can't control the transformations. So he, he basically just, uh, you know, dies that way. Um, like, do you, Tyler, like, do you mm-hmm. like, do you like Hyde to be this like woman abuser? Like, w- like, what do you think? What do you think Jekyll's motive should be to become Hyde? See, the problem with this is you're asking me a question, what I think, but I'm also thinking like, what would I do if I were to interpret this into a film? Huh, sure. I feel like that's two different. I feel like that's two different answers. No, 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 no. That's that's mm-hmm. that's near the end of the podcast. <clears throat> I already got that. So I'm like, hmm. Um, I think it's interesting that we don't really know Jekyll's motives Um, because of course, you know, the book is told mostly through the, um, you know, the book is through pool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, Anderson. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess so it was so so the book is like if you, you know, us being mm-hmm. best pals, if you started acting funny and, and I record the, the events of what the heck was going on. Exactly. So I think having his motives kind of hidden works really well in the book. Of course, when you do the film, mm-hmm. you're doing it more first person. Um, sure. And as far as the women abuser thing, um, I try to look at it in context, maybe of when it was made, the mm-hmm. years, like what the, what the message is, what the cultural relevance might be of sure. creating this character like this. I mean, when was uh, women's suffrage? I don't know, I'm trying to think. Like, well, you had uh, that- it's funny you say that because so the next movie, the to 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 kind of have Jekyll and Hyde in there is Abbott Costello meet Jekyll and Hyde. And Jekyll is played by Boris Karloff. And in that movie, they talk about suffrage. Mm, see, I, I knew. Because I, I saw that one. Because, of course, I love my Abbott Costello. Yes. And I love Boris Karloff. I mean, that's a, that's a win, win, win. Um, well, I felt, I felt the movie was a little poor. It could have been better. I, I, I agree. But it's still fun. Like It's one of those, like, even the bad Abbott Costello bring, still brings a smile to your face. <laughs> Fair enough. But I mean, I as far as the um the women abuser, I think I think it works if you're looking at Hyde as being this more the opposite, a darker and more evil. And it also makes you wonder like it, Dr. Jekyll is not married. And mm-hmm. is Hyde an escape for urges and feelings and things that he wishes he had he could do in this proper Victorian society? But Hyde is the extreme of those feelings those emotions so you know jekyll wishes he could just be with women you know without the restrictions of society Hmm. well hyde takes it too far to where he becomes too dominant that he then becomes an abuser so yeah i think i think i think you're spot on there like like each movie interpretation is kind of based on the times that you want to do that story. I think, I think that's yeah. why it's and it's so relatable too of just the down of our natures that you can always put that little twist on it. No, no, I'm with you. Um, have you seen, uh, Dr. Jekyll and sister Hyde? No. That? Okay. I started, wa- I tried to start watching it. It wasn't, pe- it was still on Peacock and I started watching it and it felt like, it felt like I was watching, um, what the heck's that director's name? Um, they did Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork. Oh, oh um, <clears throat> what the heck's his name? I feel bad. Oh my god, what what's wrong with us? You put me on the spot. It's like mental math. I'm sick. <clears throat> um, oh my god, Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Shining, Mr. You know, come on, G. So I felt like I was watching a, a Kubrick do a hammer film. It looks like a hammer film. Yeah, you know, it's very much like a hammer film. So, so the only thing, so the thing's interesting about it is basically like Jekyll lives alone. Um, he keeps to himself very much. There, a new girl moves in, moves in upstairs in his building. And like, it's basically gives the concept that's, that women, the women are like that women are good 
And when women, women have, women give off the ability to like kind of, kind of live forever, mm-hmm. if you will, like the grace of women and stuff like, and women have good in them. It's, 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 it's a weird film. And, and uh, basically like I turned it off when he changed into the woman and he just started rubbing his tits. Like, oh. I, I just was really freaking weird to me. So, I mean, so I, mean, I mean, I mean, I understand. I understand. Like if you have no woman in your life, but, but the thing is your mindset would change too. That'd be like Jekyll in Hyde's body, not a new person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that would be more like a freaky Friday kind of thing. But it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. But a version that was pretty decent was written by Steve Moffat in 2006. And um, did you get to see the show? That is the one that you and I have talked about that I want to see, that I will see one day, because Steve Moffat is very unique. We talked about it even more when we talked about Dracula. Yes. And I just have not had the chance. But I'm more than open to hearing... Um, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Okay. So in this version, um, I don't know, try to try to sum it up in a way that makes sense because, so it's six episodes. Each episode is an hour long. And as it goes, they reveal a little bit, little bit by bit Mm -hmm. to the story. There are aspects of this story that just don't freaking make sense. And they reveal it kind of in the last moment. And, but they leave it hanging. But then there's aspects of it that they reveal things and they're like, okay, this is very interesting, but they don't touch upon it. Like they kind of leave it open. Like if they ever did a sequel. Um, so basically to kind of put this in the most simplest terms to sum it up. So, um, James Nesbitt plays a guy named Tom Jackman. And, Tom Jackman, when he was a baby, he was left at a fire department. No one knows who his parents are. Um, like nobody knows anything. And he grew up he, and he became a doctor and everything was fine. He meets his wife uh, at a dinner party between mutual friends. And she's not really like interested in him too much. Mm-hmm. But um, eventually, like he he kind of wins her charm, and they flirt with each other. They have a very they have a very sexual relationship. Um, like she, she she's 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 a bit of a freak, um, and like he doesn't mind. And she tells her friend while they're on the honeymoon over the phone that when they you know when they're getting busy that she makes his eyes turn black. Interesting. And she's, and like her friends, like that's not even freaking possible. Like no guy can make his, like, you can't do that. She's like, well, I do it. So we see a little bit of that. Um, then after they get off the phone, Jackman's getting him, his, his wife, uh, you know, ice cream. And, these guys go up to her and start harassing her and like hitting on her. And it's very uncomfortable, you know, almost like, Hey girl, you know, we want to take you and rape you. 
Um, Tom comes with the ice cream and basically the guys make fun of him. Like, what the hell are you going to do? They take his ice cream and they put it on his head, embarrass him. And then they say, are you the type of husband that is going to allow this? And he's, and he's just like scared. And he's like, yes. And they say, are you the type of husband that's going to allow this? And they take the ice cream and the, the attacker or the, you know, the creep puts it on her boobs. Like he takes the ice cream on her boobs and then he licks the ice cream off her tit. Like completely embarrassing her. Like it's, it's very uncomfortable and Tom doesn't do anything, but as it's happening, his eyes start turning black a little bit and they go to a restaurant later in the night and they're dressed nice and his wife's trying to get a table and she's like, I don't want you to be the type of guy that's going to be all violent. Like, I don't want you to be that guy. I want the guy I married, you know, that's good. And he, he looks out the window and he sees these bullies off in the distance. And as he's in the restaurant, he turns the hide for the first time. And he goes out and he beats the living crap out of these guys. And to the attacker, uh, there's so when there's clips of hide. So when he turns the hide, mm-hmm. his curly hair becomes more black and like slick back. Mm-hmm. And they say that they say that he's taller and he's thinner and he looks younger. Mm-hmm. But you don't really see that. You just see the hair kind of died and his eyes, his eyes are black. And they make things to make him appear taller. Okay. But also in close-ups, he has like fangs. Like almost like he's somewhat cannibalistic, like very animal-like. And he basically almost he uh, basically almost kills these guys and he rips off the dude's ear, like bites it off. And um and then he goes, he's like disappears for a bit. And she finds him in a hospital and he has the ear like in a coat pocket in his jacket. And he's like, something's really wrong. So, so to, to sum this up a little bit better, um, he gets her pregnant. Mm. And when she gives birth, the, ba- the baby, the baby only has one heartbeat. But as she's given birth, the doctor says, you have twins. Do twins run in your family? And he says, no, 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 no. And the doctor's like, well, you're having the second kid any minute now. And wow. they say, but but the doctor said there's only one heartbeat. Very interesting stuff. I wish they would have touched a little bit more on it. But 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 they say basically they have two sons. One's name's Eddie. One's name's something else. And yeah. So... Tom disappears for he was just like as he's making these changes to hide in certain instances, he disappears. He hires this like psychiatric nurse and he has a relationship with Hyde where they talk through a tape recorder. They have a set of rules. Yeah, yeah, yada. And his wife doesn't know what he's doing. So she hires a like a private detective and a private detective basically works for, um, works for Hyde's mom and or, or Jack Jekyll's mom. And basically they say, basically there's a secret organization that's hunting him and they've been watching him forever. And 
they they say that Jekyll had no living descendants. So there's a theory that Jackman is a clone from the original Jekyll. Oh wow! And and that's how he came to be. That they took his DNA, but but then they flipped the script, and it's revealed that Jekyll was a personal friend of Robert Louis Stevenson. Okay. And he met with Robert Louis Stevenson and basically said, you know, this is a real story. This is what really happened. And you can write about it, but there's a certain bit of rules to it. And Robert Louis Stevenson is basically says, before I write this, I think I know the secret of your potion. And I, I just want to see if I'm right. So he writes down a piece of paper and then he shows it to Jekyll, and Jekyll's acts like basically it's correct, and then throws in the fire. And th- like that's how the story came to be. So Jekyll was a real guy in 1886 Edinburgh, had no descendants. But it's like the book really happened. Mm. So Hyde um, had bastard children around London. And... Mm. banged everybody but jekyll had no kids so those descendants of hyde is where jackman came to be nice and he's not a clone but hyde but the secret that lewis wrote on there was that there's no potion that there's no potion that turns him into hyde that he actually turned to hyde when he met the maid and his sexual impulses for the maid is what made him create a split personality. And, and that's kind of where it goes a little crazy. So, so the secret organization in order to get the, the blood of Hyde that somehow has superpowers like super speed, super strength can climb up buildings. It makes no sense. Moffat kind of like, like forget it or whatever. It's, it's all left field. Um, it doesn't explain it, but basically they cloned the maid and the maid is his wife. So there is a clone and they needed the, they needed his wife and clone to be there to meet with Jackman so that they could release Hyde in modern day to be able to create uh, this Hyde army, whatever. So basically it wraps up that Hyde gets shot and then he he they end up sharing the same mind, and Hyde has the ability to go through memories of every Hyde that there ever was, and that's kind of interesting. And um, Hyde basically sacrificed himself to save the family and save the kids. And the interesting thing that they kind of wrap it up with is that the kids are captured, and they're put into these like chambers. And, and the, and the mom's like, how did you guys survive that long? Like, didn't you, aren't you claustrophobic like your dad? And the boys say to her that when we got bored or we felt we couldn't breathe, we just switched places. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, well, we just switched places, mom. Implying that the, the boys, these two boys, they can they can separate their consciousness 
and switch places in bodies. So one day that, that's heavy, man, for like one right for like <clears throat> that's but they don't do anything with it. Like there's even a part in one of the episodes where the organizations try and take one of the kids, try and take Eddie, like Eddie Hyde, you know, and yeah. and Hyde and Jekyll turns to Hyde and kills a lion because they take this kid, they throw the kid in the lion enclosure at a zoo. Well. And he becomes Hyde and kills this lion. And like I thought that the way the, the way the show w- went was not how I expected because I thought it would be about the kids. Mm-hmm. That like they wanted the kids because one of them is pure good and one of them is pure evil. And the fact that they leave on this cliffhanger that the boys can f- can at any moment change their consciousness into the other body. That's interesting. Like I'm like that's never been done with with Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, that's extensive. I mean, this I mean, you could say that about almost every beat in this show. <laughs> Yeah, it's not been done before. I know. I'm just going to have you, but like it's a it, lot. There's there's a lot of parts and I and I, I would love to talk about it when uh, when you see it. But. But like so going on more about about Hyde. Um, Hyde. Hyde often is a, like a Hulk. Mm-hmm. So getting into the nitty gritty, the, the most recent stuff here. Leave a short gentleman. Mm-hmm. Thoughts. That high was too crazy. Like, Thank I mean, you. he was. <clears throat> and we're looking at the film, not the comic book, because I don't remember the high in the comic book because it's been so long. I really need to finish those comics. I'm with you. Um, it just was a like a huge, massive, like deformed person. Like you, he couldn't pass in society. That was the nope. part about Hyde was like he could pass as a person. Like maybe a little rough around the edges and like looks like he needs a shower and stuff, but he's still when you make a monkey man. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the high that they used in league of extraordinary gym was just ridiculous. Like it, it's almost like he looks almost like James just skipped leg day for like 15 years. <laughs> like he's so top heavy. And then was trying to play a hunchback for a production of Frankenstein. Exactly. Like he's 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 a mixture of the hunchback. He's his arms are huge, his whole top's huge, his legs are really skinny. Like they they use they don't use complete CGI on him. Like they but they blew whatever budget they could use. Like on his transformations aren't bad. Mm-hmm. Because his transformation is like a poof of smoke, and then he's like, ah, 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 you know, yeah, that's not bad. Um the character Jekyll was pretty good. Like Jekyll was done okay. Mm-hmm. Well, but like it's almost because this movie came out like right after Angley's Hulk, yeah, and it's like it's like they wanted him to be like the Hulk, and that's intentional. But he just looks so weird. And then we get to Van Helsing's Hyde, and he's like he's still a Hulk, but I think that Hyde looks a lot better. I mean, yeah, it's cruder CG, but yeah, I sure the thing they tried to make that hide like comical, like where they have like like he's got the cigar and he's big and he's crawling around like a, almost like a monkey, you know, swinging yeah. and his pants are falling. We see like his butt crack a little bit. They try to make him, um, you know, scary. 
And then, and then I, I forgot. Did you remember they tried to do uh, Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Oh, Hyde? That's the, that's the next thing we're talking okay. about. Okay. I totally forgot that one until right now. No, 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 dude. So, like, I just want to touch on how how Hollywood once wanted Hyde to be this big hulking monster. Mm-hmm. Kind of take from the Hulk. The Hulk took from Jekyll and Hyde. And now Jekyll and Hyde's trying to take from Hulk back. Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's reciprocal. Like, it's interesting like that. Yes, it's it's just, but the one hide that really doesn't work for me was Russell Crowe's hide. It was just weird. I um, like I watched the scene right before we started talking tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, like his hide is just like red eyes, veins in the face. That's it. His voice is good. I will give him that. His voice, the the Cockney you know, accent stuff, I like mm-hmm. that. But had the Dark Universe went on, Tyler, do you think that that hide? What do you think that would have happened with that hide, man? I think we would have seen it more, and they might have advanced it more because the way they try to produce it in the movies, like he hadn't done it in a while. Mm-hmm. So I think they would have gave us a little bit more depth. So. Do you think that they would have made him more Hulk-like eventually? Probably because they seem to do everything horrible in the way they were setting up that dark universe. <laughs> well, well, they ended it right after that that first that first movie. That was it. Um, okay, so now into like a bit more interesting talk here. Okay, so Jekyll and Hyde, and I and I talked about this kind of in the beginning of the podcast. Um, I probably should have just had you on the whole freaking podcast. I apologize. It's all good. But I didn't want you sitting there while I rambled about so much stuff. <laughs> but but I talked earlier in the podcast about the, the theories of Sigmund Freud. Mm, that's smart. And, well, you know, it's me. You know, I mean, come on, it's me. But remember, like, years, years ago, years ago, you and I had this conversation about how how we're kind of obsessed with the concept of duality. Hell yeah, we did. <laughs> we, and, and we still do. And we still do. And I threw at you without even looking at without even looking at Sigmund Freud's theories. Without, without even thinking about it, I threw at you that I think that there's three people in everybody. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's intriguing. And then we became friends and like you became really gay for me because you know I you know, because you I'm wish. such a deep thinker. It's understandable. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm awesome. You wish. But, uh, but you are awesome. Thanks, buddy. So I ended up looking more into this mainly, you know, for my comic and, and all this stuff. And in the last days of Sigmund Freud, he had this theory. And basically what he said was um, that there are three voices in our head, just like I said to you. And and I swear I didn't look up this theory, or maybe I did when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I when I first came up with this concept, sitting <laughs> with Dre in high school. But, but I swear to you, I forgot about it. I didn't know about it. But Sigmund Freud basically said that there's three voices in our head. There's the ID or the id. Mm-hmm. There's the ego, mm-hmm. and there's the super ego. So the ID seeks pleasure. It's what you really want. It's your deepest desires and impulses. You're a Mr. Hyde, if you will. The superego 
is the part of you that wants to uphold your highest values. The Dr. Jekyll in you, the superhero in you, like the best you can be, the 100% good part of you. Then there's the ego. And the ego is the one that society basically is telling you that this is the way you need to be. So this the ego is your balance, the who you really are. And that's the theory that I like I put in my comic mm-hmm. is that like you're Tyler. Yep. And you have three names, which makes this perfect for you. So <laughs> it does. There's Tyler, the man that's just living the everyday life. Then there's one that's the absolute best of the best part of, of Tyler. And that's Jonathan and Jonathan's the good. Then there's Patrick and Patrick's out there banging whores and slashing tires. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes to the gas station and he's like, I'll put, I'll put 50, 50 on three puts the, gives the $50 bill. And then he just takes it, takes it back. While someone was already pumping gas. (laughs) <laughs> like I don't even know that how, that's not really possible. It doesn't anymore. pay for a stick. But I was just thinking of stupidest things. Just takes his cherry coke and runs. That's right. You know, and there, but there's three parts of this, and like I think that's a real fascinating part, and that honestly, you know, us being superhero nerds, like I even mentioned earlier that that like Jack on Hyde is really kind of almost that basis. For superheroes and villains, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're the three person thing. You know, is how I always describe Superman. Yeah, so I always say that it's like you. It's like I use the term professionalism. Like Clark Kent is more of like him being professional. Like it's a, it's there's him in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know who he really is, but then like Clark is more like he certain characteristics, certain way he perceives himself, and then Superman is like being the professional you know, like the best, you know, all of your best characteristics, a certain way that you carry yourself. Like you have to do like when you're at work, you know, and you're interacting with your coworkers, um, you have a set of rules and everything, but who he really is, is right there in the middle, you know, the Clark after work, you know, not the one that he shows everyone to help create the secret identity. Um, So how would you, how would you say Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne is too. Like I always think that he's either Batman or or the persona of Bruce Wayne. Like, like they're like, it, yeah, it's like it's like Bruce is the the super Bruce is the uh, is the ego. Like this is what society like how I need to be. But then Batman is like straight up. Batman is mostly the Batman personality is mostly the 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 id and the super ego together <laughs> because he will use it he'll do he'll like whoop your ass but he does it for good reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um so like very interesting part um you know i like in going in batman like with two-face two-face directly directly comes from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I think what's interesting about Two-Face, and as, you know, we talked about duality is my favorite because we talked about this when we did the Wolfman and then with Two-Face. Yeah. But my thing with Two-Face is he's like Jekyll and Hyde in one body, though. Yeah. To where he doesn't have he doesn't have the choice of really, it's it really is a representation of the two sides 
warring with each other. And I think sometimes Two-Face is a character that some writers haven't been able to really nail. They, they don't understand the character enough to really nail it down. Um, because, because, you know, Scott Snyder touched on this a little bit. Um, Two-Face is a character that can actually do good. If the, if the coin goes that way, he could actually be doing good. So he really is, at the same time, at war with himself. Because, you know, I think the best Two-Face story and the... Um, two, the two-face concept that I've been working on um, for a story is a person who's lost cho- the the ability to make a choice. Can't wait so to see he, that movie. Um, so, you know, he he's really lost his ability to choose something. He can't decide. So that's where the coin really plays into it, and the choices is what determines you know his actions. So I think where we talked about Jekyll and Hyde earlier, hmm. needing to make the choice to become each other for whatever reasons taking the potion or the reverse potion um two face his potion is the coin so and it, like i said it's it's both people represented in one body at the same time see that's what that's what i really loved about old school two face stories is that he would flip that coin like and say it came up scarred mm-hmm. then he would be like okay i'm going to rob a bank and then he would ask, what am I going to do with this money? What's, what's my next step? Flip the coin and it comes out good. And he's like, okay, I'm going to donate this money to the homeless. Yep. Like, so that that's what made for me Two-Face such a fascinating character. And also like Bruce being friends with Harvey and seeing this change in him. Bruce being the Dr. Utterson, if you will. So as I was like studying this, I was thinking in my head how I would do, how I would do uh, like a, a new Dr. Jekyll story and stuff. And like, you know me, I freaking love the Hulk. So the Hulk, the Hulk's its own thing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like, I love the concept. I'm African love Hulk, but I think what I love the most about Hulk is and then I'll go back to talk about Two Face. I apologize, <laughs> but no, but, you're fine. But I think what I love the most about Hulk is that Bruce didn't want that, mm-hmm. and and you know I talk about Al-, Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk so much, and all these different personalities and Peter David's take on the Hulk. You know I love that Hulk has adapted that he does have DID, he does have dissociative identity disorder, he has all these different personalities in him that he has created for different points in his life. Like Joe fix it is how he sees a man should be. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and the, uh, the devil Hulk is the father figure, the protector of Bruce, like he, in that personality and Hulk Hulk or incredible Hulk is the lashing out baby, the, the childish, the, the, the personification of all his pain and all his anger and all the crap he has to deal with. And that's why it's just like, you know, Hulk smash. Um, I just think that that's so fascinating, but all in all, Bruce wants freaking peace. He doesn't want these things to get out. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, he kind of like he, he wants to be able to live his life and people take him serious and like not looking at him like a joke. But like he doesn't want to hurt anybody in the process of them thinking like that. Go ahead. You look like you want to say something. Go ahead. No, I'm just thinking. Like I'm, 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 I'm thinking about like you. 
everything you're, pre- you're presenting and just kind of refining my pitch idea of what I would do if I had to. Like, if my task, if they came to me, like, hey, we want to do a new Jekyll and Hyde movie, like, what would, you know, my. Let's my just spirit. go right into it because that's how I was going to wrap this up. Um, like, how would, okay, so. I would boom. borrow. Okay. How would you do a new Jekyll and Hyde story for modern times and do it right? Boom. I would borrow from something that was based off Jekyll and Hyde, and that'd be the Nutty Professor. I did want to mention the Nutty Professor, but I totally forgot about it. So my Jekyll would be a very plain, ordinary, um, socially awkward person, Okay, but not like extreme nerdy. He's just very plain. Nothing, you know, middle-aged. <clears throat> How did I skip over the Nutty Professor in my notes? What the hell is wrong with me? And I had it. The okay. idea is he 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 you know he wants to be more attractive and everything, and what it would be was he would create the serum that turns into Hyde, but Hyde would be the idea like he would be a very attractive man, slimmer, um, slimmer in physical, a little bit muscular. Um, so you're thinking I, Jerry Lewis, Night Professor? Yes, that's where it's I would start. The best version, in my opinion, better yes, than the Murphy version. It is. Sorry. But the idea is that Hyde is an attractive guy, but he is a, a most disgusting person on the inside. So he would be a women abuser. He would be a manipulator. He would be a user. Everything that makes people disgusting on the inside is what he would be. And you would have a, a subtle message about how we perceive goodness by the physical appearance and not by our actions. So the idea is <clears throat> you would kind of start small. Like he would, he would turn into Hyde. He would have some, and it would be like a, a, a side effect. It, you know, he wanted to make himself, you know, better, but he becomes another person. And you would do like the, them talking to each other similar, you know. Um, but, you know, he goes out as Hyde the first night, he hooks up with some girl. And then the next night, he wants to be Hyde again. Um, and he, he takes the potion. And Hyde only turns back to Jekyll. Um, I'm trying to work it, but maybe because he needs to like hide, like he disappeared because he commits a crime, you know? And um, the idea is that then each time Jekyll turns back to Hyde, Hyde becomes more, more aggressive, more. uh, So like it goes from him being able to hook up with the girl to then him abusing the next girl, like the next night and becomes sadistic. And, it would follow the book, you know, it would, it would be, I would, I would try to actually map out the book, but my difference was Hyde sure. would be a disgustingly evil person on the inside. Just the, and that, and that perspective would shift, um, you know, of, and, you know, Jekyll turns into Hyde because of the pleasure centers that gets filled that he can still, when he wakes up the next day as Jekyll, he still has like the feelings and kind of, um, memories so to speak of the experience but then he starts to realize what's going on and yeah that that's kind of where i would take it like i think i would just play with that and not make uh hide this monstrous person his monstrosity would come from just his actions and who he is okay so to play on what you said so and what i've already thought i think so, because they did that Joker movie, and the Joker movie was based on mental health, really, and then they just turned to Joker, I think this is how I would do a Two-Face movie. I think, well, our new Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, 
I think I would do a two face movie. Mm. <laughs> and and I think you'd like this. Okay. So, so I think I would do a little mixture of the Jekyll and Hyde story, but also Long Halloween. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I love that Batman story. Mm-hmm. Um but I would have I would have Bruce basically be the Utterson of it. And the Utterson of the story, like watching his friend become this thing. So I would just name it Dent. Dude, that's what I named my story. You just named your story Dent? Yeah, my script is Dent. That's the that's the title. God damn it, dude. Okay, I would name it uh Dented. <laughs> we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. I'll put my best people on it. So <laughs> it would be amazing. Amazing. But yes, the name the, the title Dent would be the best way to go. Um, it would be. Or maybe I'll just name it. Maybe I'll name mine coin or some, I don't know. But basically what I was thinking in my head is we tell this whole story of Harvey Dent, um, you know, from growing up in a child and stuff, but we kind of do it from Bruce's perspective Mm -hmm. of him meeting Harvey, him being friends with Harvey. And then eventually, you know, Harvey gets engaged Harvey's going for the DA job and there's all this pressure on him. But in the middle of it, Harvey has in his mind, you know, that he had, you know, he has big bad for Harvey in his mind and we get this and we get, you know, we get this murder mystery, like, you know, mobsters are dying, you know, whatever, but, and, and and I'm going to workshop it, you know, I'll put my best Mm -hmm. people on it. But the final scene, so the whole movie, he is switching between Harv, you know, Harvey and, and Dent and stuff. But the final scene is, is he goes so crazy. Like he goes so crazy from like accusations and everything going on. I was going to have him tear at his face. Ooh. And Ooh, like, scarring like seriously, like just, just start tearing at his face. And that's and then this the end scene is him being two face and scarred his own face. Nice. That's what I had in my mind. I like it. Well, thanks. I like I mean, it. It's not as, not as good as Dent, but or the, the title Dent. Well, but that's well, what I would do. My story is just about a moral ambiguous young hotshot attorney yeah. who you know goes where he, he he doesn't care if his clients are either way, you know. And the idea is he basically you know, the big bad Harper song is kind of something he had as a kid to help. He was always picked on for being weak and and everything. And he kind of created it to help protect himself. But the idea is he loses his ability to make a choice. Like he can't choose what is right and what is wrong anymore. And then that's where the coin really plays into. So are you going to have it be like, so like, are you going to have it be like a big event happens where he made the wrong choice? I don't know. And that's why he's so frozen about making choices. I have a couple of ideas and I'm, I'm working on what I like most. Um, so it's, it's working. I'm, I, you know, but it's just like your concepts. Very good. So, so is yours. I like the ending scene of just like, it's powerful. The imagery is powerful. Like, but, I don't even know if I'm going to do like, like, he, like he just starts 
doing it with like sharp metal. <laughs> I don't know. And and he makes a coin out of that. I don't know. Whatever. But like I just have this image in my head with him just like digging into his face. Like he just um you know, you know, just I like it. That. So yeah, so Jekyll we could talk Hyde, forever man. about about like the because there has been so many versions of Jekyll and Hyde. Like there's a lot. You know, there's the Dr. Jekyll Miss Hyde we joked about with Tim Daly, you know. Um there's a lot of versions of this story, but the common it's about good and evil in about all of us. And and sin. Sin. And sin go to church. <laughs> um so I think it's pretty plain and simple that your 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 favorite interpretation of a Jekyll and Hyde thing is Two Face. Mine, of course, is the Hulk. Like hands down, no, you know nothing about that. Um, you know, Tyler, I want to thank you for kind of like wrapping up this podcast and this discussion here, talking about good and evil and split personalities and stuff. Uh, I know you're you're a busy man, but I think I thank you for coming uh, and helping me for this last hour. Anytime, buddy. Anytime. I love it. You know that. I know, buddy. And and like, well, we'll have to do more discussion next time. Um, I'm in. So this is this is the. Uh, there is one more episode this season of gravely amusing listeners, uh, where I'm going to talk on basically the monsters coming together. Uh, maybe Tyler will join me on that. Maybe some other people will. Um, I want to definitely uh, put it out before Thanksgiving. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Tyler can join me. Yeah. But basically, I'm going to talk about Avon Costello, Meet Frankenstein, Monster Squad, and Van Helsing. These movies that all the monsters come together for Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but uh, That would be awesome. That would be so awesome. Thanksgiving uh, with the monsters. <laughs> but uh, thank you for being with me here tonight, Tyler. And thank you for being with me tonight, listeners. I hope you were thrilled. I hope you were horrified. And if nothing else... I hope you were gravely amused. Good night, everybody.